0: Hello and welcome to episode 250 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Manchester, and with me on the line from Sweet Home Chicago, it's the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. It's a weird week, Stan. It's a weird big
1: week. First off, episode 250? That's notable. I mean, we're not going to do anything particularly wild for it, but hey, it's been a pleasure. 250 episodes, five years of our lives.
0: I've been on at least 200
1: of those. I think at least. At least. I think it's closer to 225, probably for each of us, yeah. right? Yeah. But wow, 250. And Shane's not even here this week to celebrate the 250-ness of it, but...
0: Well, I think he's celebrating at the museum. Yes, he's at, he's
1: having a night at the museum. The, um... You know, the actual anniversary of this show is like December 15th or something. like. I think that's when we did the first episode in 2018.
0: Our first episode came out on December 22nd, 2018.
1: <laughs> what a Christmas present for everybody. It was. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. So it's
1: about a month later, but yeah, this is episode 250. We have been doing this for five years and we have essentially missed... About eight regularly scheduled episodes or ten regularly scheduled
0: episodes in that time as a as a group. Yeah, and really only due to holidays, not for our own laziness or ineptitude, but pretty much. It's like we're we're not recording on Christmas, sorry, or Thanksgiving. Speaking of, there will be no show next
1: week, but uh, you know, here we are this week for you to listen to while you're based in the Turkey or whatever it is that people in the UK do on uh, US. Thanksgiving, which I assume is just go to work yeah. like normal. Yeah, we just go to work like normal.
0: Um, we still celebrate Black
1: Friday. The same on the same day? Yeah, yeah.
0: Because ca- wow. capitalism. God, America really is the worst, isn't it? <laughs> capitalism flies no flag. Wow. By the way, I might still record an episode next week. I don't have Thanksgiving obligations. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, I guess that's kind of up to you if you want to. It's up to yeah, me. I, I cannot. Yeah, I cannot. I will go. You know what I'm going to do on Sundays? I'm going to go for a Sunday roast. Instead mm-hmm. of the Thanksgiving celebrations. But yeah. that doesn't mean I can't find some time to record on Saturday. That's because it's uh it's Thanksgiving
1: every Sunday in provincial UK towns where you are. You can you can get a roast any day,
0: Buddy. isn't that right? Uh it's it's Thanksgiving every Sunday. You get a yeah. roast on Sundays. It's a Sunday yeah, roast. That's right. Yeah. It's not it's not a Tuesday roast. Oh well, yeah,
1: yeah. Sorry. I should specify I should have I should have specified that I I really did only mean Sundays. Yeah. Every Sunday's Thanksgiving. Thank you. But speaking of Black Friday. We got some stuff. Yeah. I mean, I know that, again, we're all part of the capitalistic system in one way or another. And please don't skip this. We've got some good ads, actually, this week to to tell you about from two of our sponsors.
0: Please don't skip these ads. Uh, These are good ones, though. Stan, you want to talk about Heavy Play first? Well, Heavy Play, the card game accessory brand that improves your gameplay and game day. And now to celebrate Black Friday, they're offering 30% off anything in the store. This is what Randy
1: sent me an email that said, we'll have a Black Friday deal for 30% off store wide. It will run from Friday at 12.01 a.m. to Monday at 11.59 p.m. That code is Black Friday 2023. 30% off of Heavy Play products
0: is pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Because look, Heavy Play products, they're not cheap, but they're really nice. You get what you paid for. Yeah, and getting a nice discount, thirty percent—that's that's nothing to laugh at. This is your chance. If you've been eyeballing heavy play accessories, maybe you want to try out their equip mag system so that you mm-hmm. can attach your dice tray, your deck boxes, all to your play mat, carry around in one go. And now you can get them all for thirty percent off. That you'd be crazy not to buy it. I kind of agree
1: for what it's worth. So. If you can go check out Heavy Play this Black Friday, again, the code is Black Friday 2023 Maybe let them know in the comments or something that you heard about it from the dive down, but that's fine. In this case, we just want you to be able to save some money on, on Heavy Play stuff. So go use it. It's not a code specific to us, but uh, yeah, it's going to be great. I think it's really worth it. And then, you know, we don't always talk in depth about Barrister and Man off the front, but... Will and the team at Barrister Man are also having a really good Black Friday sale right now. And that is they are going to have 20% off everything on the store all weekend, similar time to what Randy was talking about. That code... I want you to listen carefully to this code. It is Weekend SaibaWeekend23, C-Y-B-A Weekend23 for 20% off of, of everything uh, this weekend uh, at uh,
0: Bear Starm Man. So at this point, we're not even promoting our codes. This is, These are just for you guys. Save some money on fragrances. Save some money on magic accessories. You'll be happier for it. And you know yeah. what? You know what? Buy some gifts for your friends and loved ones. Exactly. I mean, if you have friends that want to want heavy play sleeves,
1: boxes, all that kind of stuff, if you have friends that shave or enjoy a good soap. Also, uh, at, at Barrister Man, and we're not going to go much deeper on this, I promise, we'll launch a bunch of new products there. I have shaving soap samples from Promises, Melange, Midnight Special, and Braeburn here right now that I am checking out. I've got to say the Braeburn, probably my favorite out of those ones, but check them out yourself. Again, 20% off Cyber Weekend. 23 sorry for the commerce chat but this is really about helping you all out
0: all right let's talk about this week's show yep we are taking our first gander with new cards from lost caverns of ixalan for a cheeky sleeve will heave in modern and pioneer a lot more cards actually than we thought might pop up They
1: seem to be popping up all over the place
0: good set turns out yeah yeah we're going to talk about some notable fish we're going to talk about noteworthy vampires noticeable humans and more there's more there's uh yeah i don't even know what the cards
1: that i played with are i think the noteworthy human is probably the card i was playing with the most actually not even mention it oh i thought it was and
0: the, then, i thought it was a noteworthy vampire ah he didn't
1: play with that card very much but it is noteworthy mm in that i uh you know didn't like it but we'll get into that in a little bit so stan and i are going to talk for a little bit and then actually we're going to have Devin on to talk about some of what he's been doing with new decks as well we couldn't get together on a single recording this week so you know we're going to do a little a section b section today where stan and i are going to talk for a while about what we've been up to and then i'm going to talk with Devin about what he's been up to separately and uh we'll go from there
0: but first let's take another quick minute to Housekeep, we do want to shout out our newest patron to join the Dive Down Nation. It is James H. Hello, hello, James. Good to have you. The hero of Pallet Town, I believe. Yep, yep. Hero of Pallet Town, who I think joined the Discord
1: simply to ask me for my chili recipe, which seems to come up once a year. People uh, want the chili recipes, so, um, you know join up if you want to get it. I don't just give it out to anybody. Also, I wanted to thank a couple of people for writing nice notes to us. We had David A., who sent a really nice note about the last episode via Patreon. We also had Jeff from Cleveland. I know a lot of Jeffs in Cleveland, but so maybe this is what I know, or maybe it's a new Jeff to be friends with. But uh, Jeff sent us a nice note via the contact form at Fireside, which is
0: where our podcast is hosted. But We appreciate the Props. Jeff from Cleveland was my favorite primetime sitcom during late nineties uh yeah. TGIF yeah programming oh, I mean it went up against John from Cincinnati, which was very
1: weird. I don't know if you remember that show, which was like the uh the follow up to Six Feet Under John from
0: Cincinnati. Yeah. Wasn't there like a show that was like Betty White from Beantown? That was called Hot in Cleveland. Oh, that's <laughs> I believe is what you're thinking about. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, Cleveland. That's
1: that's Beantown, right? Yeah, Beantown. Motor City. Beantown motor city uh yeah so if you would like to support us check us out on patreon.com slash the dive down we're not going to get too deep into this our last black friday thing i'll mention is that our store the dive slash store i'm going to put a code on it let's say that the code's going to be what do you think the code should be stan rhino boys 2023 horn dogs black with friday surprise that's too long just horn dogs maybe all right horn dogs <laughs> with an s no z that'll Bell-D-A-W-G-S. be the code D A W G S. now No, (laughs) we'll put it in the show notes, but we'll put some kind of discount on our store for people to check out too. I'm going to check the numbers to make sure that we don't (laughs) lose money on the code, but it'll be at least 10% off. So go uh, check it out. Look Look in the show notes for that. Yeah, and then we already talked about Barrister Man. We talked about Heavy Play. Mana Traders—they don't have a Black Friday sale, but you can use our code the dive down twenty-three to get ten percent off your first two months of Magic Rentals. If you would like to help us out, Mana Traders is doing uh, their Championship Series this month. Is Pioneer, and so I actually spent a while playing Pioneer queues last night. Uh, I know Stan did some too, but anyway. Yes, Mana Traders—you know we love them. They've been here for a long time. They've they do a they actually do a lot to support us, I will say. We haven't talked about it much lately, but um they they do help us out quite a bit. So if you can check out mana traders if you haven't yet, please do. David, yes. Should we talk about some dicks? Let's get into it. We had ten minutes of wind up and Black Friday deals again. Sorry for the commercing, but let's talk about new
0: cards. So I played several formats. Yes. Two to be specific. Yeah. I'm not sure if two is several, but okay. I think one of the decks I played is actually legal in Explorer as well. So let's just say I played 2.5 formats. Wow, nailed it. I did not do any arena testing. All my testing was in Pioneer.
1: Yeah, I only play, I, I've only played Pioneer this mm. week for what it's worth. On
0: Cockatrice. On Cockatrice, like usual, yeah. where I hang out. <laughs> I hang out on the Triss. So let, let's first let's say what decks we played so that people know what's to come. Yeah. I played two Pioneer decks. One was Simic Merfolk. Mm-hmm. The other one was a Teamer Discover deck, basically Cascade at home. Because you can't stop it. You can't stop Cascading wherever you go. Why should I? I don't think you should. And I won't. I think
1: history has proven that you were right in picking this deck up. Although I am going to run the tape back and just remind you that I was the person who said, Stan, I think you should get back into Rhinos again. And it led to where we are now,
0: and and that's why I'm grateful for your friendship, Dave, because you give me ah, good advice periodically. Period occasionally bad investment advice, but good magic advice. And last but not least, I I wasn't planning to talk about rhinos again. I swear that was not the intention. But then Twitter started popping off. There's a new card on the block. It won the modern showcase on MTGO, so I had to play some Tide Binder rhinos as well. And I will recap uh, some of my experiences there too. What did you do, Dave? So I mostly played Pioneer, and I think I looked
1: at some weirder decks. I think you may have found some legit decks that people are interested in. I played the Amalia slash Wild Growth Walker combo in Pioneer. I played an interesting Boros Legends list that Pascal Maynard got a 5 with, and then I also played some Boros Convoke. I'm planning to mostly talk about Boros Convoke with Devin later in the show, but because um, that's also what he played in the challenge on Sunday. But let's uh, let's see how it goes.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, by the way, Amalia, that's the vampire. That's the notable vampire I was referring to. Amalia? Yeah, she's a vampire scout. Yes,
1: she sure is. Notable scout. All right, so I think that we were going to start with Modern, because we only have one deck here to talk about, and I think we can tell a tight little story about this new, what's essentially tech mm-hmm. in uh, Rhinos.
0: Yeah, and and this is I think, hot off the presses for when we're recording. We're recording on Sunday, and Rhinos featuring Tashana's Tidebinder uh, won the showcase challenge yesterday on Saturday. I'm not going to say I called it, but I acknowledge that Binder plays pretty well with Rhinos. And I think this weekend's results suggest that there's possibly something to that. Whether or not it lasts the test of time is kind of like the big question here. But for me, I was kind of keeping an eye on Tidebinder because I know it's getting picked up in Merfolk. I had this hunch that it might have some utility in in modern. So I've had like a tab saved on my computer of a Tidebinder card market page just to like make sure I can buy it before it potentially spikes if it has a spike. Um, And I did that because it has started spiking today financially. Oh no, yeah. I did? <laughs> yeah. And I bought seven. <clears throat> what? For cheap. Again? I, I bought them okay. for four pound before they got to seven pound. That's three pound of profit. All right. All right. The first mention I saw of TIE binder rhinos f- was from a magic grinder um, and Twitter c- commenter called Dak Faden. Mm-hmm. where they shared a list that was featuring four Tidebinder and said that they went 9-1 in their first 10 matches with the deck um, and just sort of confirmed my initial hope for this card, which is that it basically counters like the most popular hate that people play against Rhinos. The thing that Faden also pointed out that I did not acknowledge is that it pairs well with Flame of Anor because Tidebinder is a merfolk wizard. Yep. Which... Yep incentivizes you to play additional main deck flame of an or if you're, if you're not already does that get you out of playing muta
1: i have not i didn't look closely at the lists are we oh no we are still it looks like the f- the list from the challenge played one muta still so you're maybe you're cutting back slightly on the muta vaults but it's uh it does help
0: yeah i mean you just saw me play a little bit i think i'm actually still playing at least one i may have actually gone up to two because my thinking there. Is that between Tidebinder and one to two mutavault, you're getting two modes often enough. And that's like the bread and butter. Is when you can get two modes off of Flame Manor, it usually means that you're tagging a permanent and drawing two cards. And that just feels so huge that I think it's worth it to to play that extra mutavault if if you think your mana base can handle it. Yeah. For what
1: it's worth there were four players in this showcase challenge that had uh, Tashana's Tidebinder in rhinos.
0: It was all the rhino decks. There were four in the top thirty-two, and all of them played Tidebinder.
1: Right. Yes. Yes. Sorry, I should have said that that it was it was all of all of the ones in the top thirty-two. It was between two and four.
0: Mm-hmm. Three of
1: those decks still had a single Mutavault. One of them actually had no Mutavaults,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is interesting. It's actually the winning deck list had two Tidebinder and no Mutavault.
0: Interesting. And we should probably also mention that not only did it win the the challenge against scam, it also finished in third place. So it put in mm-hmm. two copies in the top eight. Yeah, which
1: is amazing. All right, so I watched you play this card just now a little bit because we were streaming together before we before we actually turned the microphones on here. Mm-hmm. So what did you think about it? You're you're in there. You're playing it. You've played at least six, seven, eight matches with it right now.
0: Yeah, I've I've played a decent amount, about a league's worth, and I'm I'm on. I played just over a league. I'm on my second league now, yeah, so I think the primary reason this card is at least playable and possibly good is because it does three really important things. One, it's a stifle. a stifle in and of itself, probably not good enough. We have nimble obstructionist. We have repudiate replicate. um the latter, like I feel like there's two Rhino players in the world who like constantly five o leagues with repudiate replicate, but it's it hasn't really caught on otherwise. Right. But if stifle was good enough to like answer chalices or EEs or whatever, we would have seen more of those effects by now and we haven't. Stifle on on obstructionist, that's one piece of the puzzle for me. The other thing is that it's a pithing needle effect. You know, when it enters the battlefield, if it stifles uh ability of a permanent, if that permanent is an artifact, creature, or walker, that specific permanent is now blank cardboard. Right. And last but not least, it's also a threat. It's a three-two. I think because it's a creature. Because it's a pithing needle and because it's stifle, all on one card, like it does enough for three mana.
1: Can I can I make another sort of hypothesis about this as well, just real quick? Because the problem with this card, right? Of course, is that the pithing needle style effects go away if it dies, right? But we're playing a deck like rhinos is a deck that has such an ability to close with really powerful threats that the fact that it's kind of a tempoy needle or like a slightly fragile needle actually sometimes can buy you just enough time to get your rhinos in one more time to finish it up or get you that turn that you need to do the extra eight damage or whatever so it's not like you can play this in a it doesn't feel to me like watching it like you can play this and rely on that effect for something for a long time but if you only need it for a short time
0: you're kind of it, it's possible right and I I think to your point, like Rhinos has kind of become this deck where it's playing tempo plays like Subtlety and and Ice for that matter, just to give you like that extra turn or two because it's often attacking for like eight plus damage in a single turn. So I think you're totally right. So I mentioned that it's a a threat, a Stifle and a Needle. The fact that it turns on Flame of Anor, like I think that's gravy. We'd probably still play it even if that wasn't the case. And we probably would just play fewer Flame of Anor. But why not? Let's let's like make the other new good card from this year a little bit more consistent too while we're at it. Yeah. I mean I think Lorian Revealed is maybe the best new
1: card from this year for Rhinos, right? Sure. Yes. (laughs) Don't forget about that one. That's all I'm saying. That's an important one, too. Yeah. Flame of Menor is cool too.
0: I think there's a few things to keep in mind when you're playing this card, just so that you don't get surprised by how it's templated. It has to stifle something to be a pithing needle. So when it enters the battlefield, you're not actually targeting any permanent. Um it needs to counter an activated or triggered ability of a permanent, and then that specific permanent, if it is an artifact, a creature, or a walker, is now needled. You can stifle lands or enchantments or you know, basically any triggered or activated ability, but the pithing needle only works on those three card types. I think that's really important. It also it only needles the specific permanent, it's not needling a card with that name. So it's not Pithing Needle. It's not Sorcerer's Spyglass. It's just blinking a card on the board. Meaning if if they play another card of that same name, your Tidebinder's effect is no longer like as relevant, perhaps. Or if, again, as Dave put it, if they just kill the Tidebinder, then the needle effect is gone too. Um, I, I heard an anecdote that uh, someone tried to Stifle an Urza's tr- saga trigger. I don't know which one, but it didn't actually shut off the saga, and the saga still stuck around. So maybe it's smart to do that from time to time, like stifle enchantment abilities, or, or I don't know, like Shadow of Doubt someone's fetch land. That sounds pretty cool, but you know, don't get cute. Yeah, don't think that you're gonna. I, I
1: understand. For a minute, I was like, well, wait a second, where is he going with this? But yeah, so you might you might get away with like, hey, I don't want my saga to actually search up something mm-hmm. or i don't want their saga to make be able to make creatures right make yeah yeah there's some stuff that you can do there but it doesn't it doesn't needle it the way the other ones do you have to keep in mind that they left off enchantment
0: yeah yeah no there was one match i played yesterday it was rhinos against merfolk we were tide bindering each other's tide binders hopefully by the time this episode goes live i'll have had the time to look at my vod and And post a screenshot of the updated state of modern but it just kind of felt like the league was sort of defined by tide binders because everyone's experimenting with this card right now and i think like if you're in a blue deck including merc tide for that matter like it might be worth just like trying one or two because it's so effective against so many permanent types across so many different matchups you know for, for me and rhinos like i really love it because you can counter a chalice trigger you can counter engineered explosives You can shut off a Karn the Great Creator. You can shut off the One Ring. You could, you know, Shadow of Doubt Fetchlands. The list goes on and on and on. A lot of those cards are, you know, maybe you're not playing Chalice or Engineered Explosives against Murktide or against whatever other blue deck you're interested in right now. But being able to shut off walkers and having like some added utility, probably still good enough. You know, Murktide, I think it has a Orcish Bowmaster problem being able to flash in a Tidebinder to stifle the ETB trigger on Bowmaster is really good and then that Bowmaster is needled now and it's not triggering every time you draw a card either. So, I think even though 3 mana is a lot and, you know, Merc doesn't really like casting spells that cost more than 1 or 2 mana, having the 1 of might be just good enough to try it in the sideboard and, and, and see if you're getting enough value out of there. Yeah. My personal verdict with like just a league under my belt is I am believe plus I am going to sleeve it up. Like I'm I'm planning to play an RCQ on Saturday. Um and I've secured my tide binders. If I don't get mine in the mail, I a friend of the show Peter said he would lend lend some to me that he's already. Oh, that's gotten. nice. Yeah. Hey Peter. Thanks, Pete. So I I think it's worth like putting in the paper testing too. See if I can catch some people by surprise. I think the thing about Tide Binder that I don't know if this is a liability per se, but it like it being a blue card pushes you into those subtlety heavy builds and pushes you away from like fury and and other interaction. It's hard to make room for Dismembers if you're playing this. You know, it's really hard to make room for, for fury. You're probably only playing one or two. It's hard to make room for that one of Murktide. You end up getting in this position where. For better or worse, the deck becomes very streamlined again. And you may recall, David, just last week I was talking about how one of the issues that Reynolds is facing right now is that it's hard to be that consistent stock streamlined build week to week because it's being pulled in so many directions. You always have to like figure out the best interaction for a given weekend or tournament. And I think the question now is like, does Tidebinder solve enough problems that it can reward you for being like a heavy blue subtlety force of negation deck? I think chances seem pretty good but the same way that people were really quick to figure out that tide binder is playable i think now given some time we might find that people figure out that it might actually be easy to disrupt the tide binder itself or hate it somehow and make it yeah. less effective when yeah when you know you're using tiebiners to try to beat opponent's counterplayer hate pieces
1: yeah yeah so we'll see but it seems like an interesting evolution of the arms race right now anyway and one of the players who played apparently so i'm looking at bamzing's tournament report on reddit right now about this tournament one of the players that came in third place i think Max, maximus d was also on T- team riners rhinos said that they they basically said that their comment was, well, I played three and that was a mistake. I should have played four mm. instead. So some of the the people who've had it in this event are already asking for more, <laughs> more cards from where it is more tide binders from where it is. But right now people are looking at it as like a two over a three of, uh, just to give a couple other highlights again, thanks to bamzing here and also flipping through the results of this tournament, because uh, we're not going to talk a ton about more about modern. It definitely looks like some of the scam players looks like two of the scam players that were in this top 32, out of six scam players that were in the top 32 uh, were playing Molten Collapse as a two-of. There was also a Jund player playing Molten Collapse as a two-of, which is interesting. Amulet Titan starting to pick up spelunking. Uh, I'm going to really quick look and see how many people spelunking? are playing spelunking spelunking thank you spelunking yeah uh it looks like we got one two three and all of them have spelunking in the sideboard there's no main deck copies in this particular one which is interesting um so they're using it as a way to improve post game one we have a john player playing volatile fault which is the kind of wasteland that costs a single mana or i guess the ghost uh Ghost Quarter, mm-hmm. that costs a single mana to activate it. And lastly, there is a Scales player playing Echoing Deeps, but that's kind of it for the LCI cards that were in Modern in this tournament, at least. Um, obviously, there's other stuff going on in Modern, but we all it felt like we were seeing more early results in Pioneer uh, for the moment, so we kind of focused on that for this week. And there's some stuff there. I'd love to talk about one of the hype decks real quick as we transfer to, to Pioneer, just to give Stan a break. And that deck is so one of the decks that was really popular before or that people were talking about a lot was these like infinite combo decks that were enabled by different not infinite combo decks just combo decks that were um enabled by cards from lost caverns and mixelon and one of them that got a lot of hype was certainly the uh amalia benavides aguirre deck beautiful accent work by the way thank you with uh wild growth walker and so what this deck does stan are you familiar with this one the card or the deck? The deck that has kind of evolved out of it.
0: Um, you know, David, I'm familiar with it, but how about you explain it for the listener who may yes. not be?
1: You got it. So I am looking at a list by Karate Dom, who is, of course, friend of the show Dom Harvey. Played this in a Pioneer preliminary, got a four O with this on the 15th, which is... Thursday or Wednesday of last week. Thursday of last week, I guess. And what this deck is is, it kind of looks like a Amazon company deck from Modern, like think Druid, think that kind of stuff. And what it is, it's built around the combo of Amalia, a wire, and Wild Growth Walker. And what Amalia does is it's a 2-2 Vampire Scout for a white and a black that has ward pay three life and says, whenever you gain life, Amalia explores, then destroy all other creatures if its power is exactly 20. 20, okay? Mm. (laughs) And her power, she starts as a 2-2. And then Wild Growth Walker is a generic and a green for a 1-3 that says, whenever a creature you control explores, put a plus one plus one counter on Wild Growth Walker and you gain three life. So these two cards, they make a loop. They make a loop, and what happens is if you can get the ball rolling with both of them in play and then either gain life or explore, you uh, will set off a chain that takes Amalia up to 20, goes through some of your deck, like draws cards, puts cards in the graveyard, all this kind of stuff, and eventually Amalia gets up to being 20 power, wraths the board, and then is a 20 power attacker. Uh, That's the idea. Have you played against this deck? No. No. All right. The rest of the deck, like I said, it kind of looks like Obzon Company. It's got some green for creature ramp. It's got some other cards that do things like, you know, it's got Prosperous Innkeeper that gives you a little bit of ramp and lets you gain, it has a a Soul Warden effect where whenever another creature enters the battlefield, you gain a life. So that can start your combo off. It's got white for some extraction specialists to be able to get Wild Growth Walker back from the graveyard. You don't really want Amalia back from the graveyard because she can't attack with it when... When it, oh, I guess she can attack when extraction specialist comes because she'll go to twenty and then wrath away the extraction specialist and then she can attack. Mm-hmm. So. That's another thing. Also, Extraction Specialist has life gain, so it can start the chain if you get an attack with it. Night of Autumn for some main, main board hate, but also a way to gain life with the card. So, a lot of what we're doing here is finding ways to gain life post the combo is in play. And then you're supported by Collected Company and Thought Seas. So, you have Thought to help you with some di- disruption, and then Collected Company since the whole combo can be found at instant speed. I played this deck for two rounds. This is one of the decks that I felt like I was seeing on Twitter. It was kind of getting some hype, you know, Dom got a four with this. God love him. I have no idea how <laughs> how people can win games with this particular deck in the world that is Pioneer right now. Um I'm not going to go too deep into this, but I think that you kind of understand what the combination is, the style of deck that this is. I think it's really hard. I felt like it was really hard for this deck to be good because you have to get an attack in with Amalia to get the payoff of the deck, right? And there's nothing here that really keeps her from being killed. She has Ward 3, but... Award ward three life, but like, it doesn't really matter. It would be so much better if it was ward three mana, because then you would at least be able to constrain somebody's, you know, mana in order to do it or ward two mana or something like that. The gain life is not, or the lose life is not really a deterrent to someone fatal pushing it, you know, and that's the thing. She can be fatal push. Someone could play, get lost on, uh, yeah, get lost on it. Someone can play any number of different effects to be able to break this combo up. And I, I really, there's no way to give Amalia haste in this deck, it still might not win you the game if someone has more than 20 life which frequently you know it's not a thing that doesn't happen in in magic you know you you often don't really have a chance to catch up so i just felt like a this was kind of miserable to play the combo takes a lot to make it happen and i just really felt like i was going to go do something else Mm -hmm. so (laughs) i you know I don't want to like trash a deck right away and clearly a couple people have done well but i i just felt like this deck was not really living up to the hype and i'll be curious to see kind of like if someone a if there's a certain kind of matchup that this really thrives in or b uh if there's some way that we're supposed to be playing it different or slightly different build that will make it better but for me this was definitely a heave
0: so Sweet. sorry get out of here so a minor correction where credits due. i don't think karate dom is Dom harvey Dom, oh, no? Dom Harvey's Capri Coach. Oh, you're right. But yeah, to your point, like, you know, people have been trying to make Explore happen in Pioneer after it was, like, an amazing standard deck in its time. But I think to your point, like, it being so vulnerable to removal probably means that it's going to struggle in a, in a red-black metagame. Yeah. I mean, but it even struggled. Like, I think
1: the two decks I played this against were Sacrifice and... Recto sacrifice and tron. I uh, have mono green devotion or tron. Okay. I think of as tron. Sure. And I was like, uh, I don't see how it beats either one of these. So, bye. <laughs> you know, wh- like
0: wh- What was the issue
1: with mono green? Mono green was just the I wasn't scale. My threats weren't scaling up fast enough to be able to beat them in time to be able to have the amalia go off basically. So, it just felt like even when I think I yeah, that's kind of what happened there. They just got around me destroyed me with things like um city leveler and stuff like that. Like it was it was sort of like the Karn stuff that really made it hard. So so they
0: basically comboed off before you did. Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean I think like in in a environment where right now we're seeing a lot of combo decks in Pioneer, playing a slower disruptible combo is probably going to be a liability. Um something I, I will speak to briefly in my one of my sleeve believe heaves. I also think like in the format where you have two Rakdos decks that can remove uh, Amalia at instant speed in addition to like Phoenix being on the upswing and it having like tons of shock effects that kill her I can I can understand your assessment that the build you played might not be there yet.
1: Yeah, I saw a couple of other ones, but um, I don't know, I just felt like the combo isn't enough of a payoff to really stand up to what's going on with some of these other decks in Pioneer, mm-hmm. right? Like It's not like it even exiles a creature, so let's say you go off against Phoenix and get rid of all their Phoenixes, like they just come back and they fly. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, then you have to get the attack in and like, who knows? I I don't know. I didn't like it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it almost sounds like in certain matchups, you really need to do it at instant speed off of a Coco, which is really hard to line up. So maybe the answer isn't just cocoa, but like you want cocoa and cord or Eldritch. Yes. Maybe you want an Eldritch in there.
1: I did see some cocoa and cord combinations, and I, I maybe that is a little bit better to treat a little bit more like Yawgmoth. And also, the, those company decks used to have cord mm-hmm. as well at a different point in time. You know, I guess that in a way, like Yawgmoth is a spiritual successor to those decks as well.
0: All right, David, thank you for that. Let's take a quick break. We have an ad read, and then when we return, we're going to cover off on. Even more Pioneer decks that we like and dislike. So stay with us.
2: Shane, what are you doing here? I honestly don't know. Have you been on this episode the whole time? Have you just been yes, I'm just I'm lurking, listening to a speech. I didn't play any magic, so I thought I'd just listen to what you all played. It was much more enjoyable than playing myself, although I will say the decks that you all played this week sound like a lot of fun. well, Shane, you ain't seen nothing yet because the second half of the show is unexpected. ain't they seen nothing yet bah, bah. it's not an episode of
0: I'm not singing. We gotta take this quick ad break though to remind our listeners about all the awesome Black Friday codes that some of our sponsors have available, as well as our own, right?
2: Yeah, that's the important thing.
0: So the first one from Heavy Play, thirty percent off store wide from Friday till Monday, code Black Friday twenty twenty
2: three. Basically your best deal on getting Heavy Play equipment. It's now or never, friends. Sounds good. I would I would purchase it. I need I need more colors myself. So, and then what's what the next one? We also have Barrister and Man back in the sponsorship fold. They have a code as well. Cyba Weekend 23. Now this so is Cyba Cyba C Y B A <laughs>
0: Weekend 23. All one word. Okay, got it. And that's that's 15% off. Yeah, your order. They're also reducing their free shipping threshold to 55 dollars. Sweet. So that's Cyba Weekend 23. That's,
2: that's, 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 that's how much I would want to spend at least. You know what I mean? It, Using Cyber Weekend 2023. It's easy to spend $55 at Peristern, man. There's a lot of good stuff. We got some new scents in the mail, uh, and I cannot wait to talk about them next week, honestly. Big world, lots of smells. And then last but not least, thedivedown.com
0: slash store. We're doing our own Black Friday deal to give you 15% off any order. I think there's no limit there, there i'm looking at this little customer limit
2: one per button and we didn't click it <laughs> <laughs> just come back keep buying stuff Just keep buying stuff we don't care and that's promo code Horn
0: Dogs. one word <laughs> horn dog h-o-r-n-d-o-g-s that Is goes that running from through
2: monday friday
0: to monday perfect Cyber friday to black monday perfect
2: Well, uh, it was fun hanging out with you, Stan. Yeah, you as well, Shane. Um, I've I've got the second half of an episode to edit. Yeah, please go keep listening to our show. Stop talking to me. Will do. uh, Enjoy your Thanksgiving, if you celebrate, out there.
0: Oh. My. Gosh. Who should dare walk in on the middle of the recording. Didn't you see the on air sign outside the studio? I'm here. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Devin Devin was invited while Stan was talking forever about rhinos. I was chatting with Devin and saying, Devin, you gotta come on this show. We we need we need <laughs> the muscle. Let's get on here. Let's talk together. We don't wanna we, we thought it was gonna be separate, but we want the cross the pond synergy you know, people of Massachusetts, people of the UK making amends after 200 and
0: <laughs> 250
1: blah, blah, blah years.
0: Yeah. Yeah, dude. It's time to pay for the tea. Yeah. All right, Devin. Good to have you. Devin, you just got done playing the challenge, right?
3: Yeah, I played the showcase challenge with uh, Boros Convoke and didn't go super well. I, went, I dropped it four and three, had a couple of uh, unfortunate losses. As I'm, I'm sure you you probably imagine the deck kind of loses to itself sometimes where yes. you just open these hands that are just like a bunch of one drops and no payoff. Um, but yeah, I mean, just with the new set overall in Pioneer, I did three streams on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I did nine hours each. So I've been playing a ton Ooh. of this set, and it's been an absolute blast. It's been so much fun.
0: And it's only been one week i know (laughs) one week since you looked at me let's talk about boros convoke because both of you played it and i actually did play against it seems like it's
1: probably one of the most popular decks in pioneer at least coming out of i mean it was pretty popular anyway but i do think that coming out of this new set it's gotten extra more popular and that's because of warden of the inner sky which i am still mad that we did not talk about in our spoiler episode that is Completely something I wanted, I had on my list and I was like, ah, maybe it's not good enough. Boy, you have to put three counters on this thing to make it work. Anyway, Boros Convoke with Warden of the Inner Sky making a deck that was pretty much a, I don't know, tier two deck right now in Pioneer back to a tier one, at least in popularity.
3: Yeah, honestly, I think with the printing of Warden of the Inner Sky, I think this might just be the best deck in the format. And again, I, yeah, I, I'm not like I, I am not hesitant to say that the more I play with and against Warden of the Inner Sky, it's just the the way that I equate it to it is it feels like it makes a lot more of your hands keepable, because as we were just discussing it, you have this problem where you have a bunch of small stuff and not a lot of payoff. And it's like the perfect blend of it's a one drop, but it's also a way to take advantage of having a bunch of stuff on the battlefield. So it's just like it's the just the perfect mix.
1: Yeah, it's the the weirdest line of text about this card to me, because I totally agree with what you're saying, is that, or not weirdest, but the thing that makes it perfect for this deck is that it's creatures or artifacts are what you can tap to do it. And so when you have a bunch of these Ophi artifacts and no... You know, you have these like blood tokens and you have clue tokens and then you have gleeful demolition like that's your only payoff for those cards really in the deck. But there's only four of those cards. And so having another thing that's a secondary payoff for that in Warden makes it go so much faster than than you think it would be to scale up to that thing. Can I can I tell you the card that actually this reminds me of. Devin, let me let me know what you think about this cuz I think it's a weird analog. It reminds me of Ledger Shredder in is it Phoenix? Is what it actually reminds me of. Okay. I could see it. What's So it's a cheap threat. It, it rewards you for doing stuff that you already want to do in the deck that maybe you're not fully utilizing already. And it's a flying threat that scales over the over the course of the game and lets you pivot into a different strategy if your A game is not like coming off, right? So it, it felt to me really like a little bit, it felt a lot like Letter Shredder to me playing with it even in the sense that you get to manipulate your draws with the scry mm-hmm. trigger, which turned out to be way, way, way more impactful than I thought it was going to be when I, when I was looking at the card originally.
3: Yeah, it's like a, a way to fix your bad draws, right? Where you have a bunch of yeah. this, like just a bunch of small ball stuff. And there's even cool stuff that you can do where you like tap three things, one of which is an artifact, and then you Gleeful Demolition, the artifact that you tapped, and then you get three more tokens to activate the Warden again. And the other most important part about it, or one of the most important parts is the fact that it breaks board stalls. Like there's a lot of stuff where you just like get into board states where they have a 3-3 and a shield grid and you have a bunch of 2-2s or 1-1s and they can't attack and now you just get to use those 2-2s to put counters on your stuff, make your thing have flying and also scry to your more bigger payoffs. It's just like everything is so good about that card.
1: Yeah. I mean, even the fact that something came out for me a bunch of times, too, is that it can tap itself as one of the three creatures and actually super helpful. So there's there are a lot of sequences where you like I took screen grabs of this that I, I won't like describe with you guys. But like, you know, having Warden with three tokens on it by the end of turn by by turn three and attacking, you know what I mean? Or what like you can you can power it up very quickly in this deck, especially when you have sequences that are like. Two Thraben slash Epicures, a Demolition, and a Warden. Like, if you, which is a kind of normal hand, I mean, it's a very good hand, of course, but it's a kind of normal hand that you get in this deck. You can pretty much turn that, activate it twice on turn two. Then you're scrying twice. You have a bigger threat. And then on the next turn, you have a four five, you have a Sarah Angel, basically, on the turn after that. So it's like, it's kind of crazy.
3: Yeah. don't even talk about the the Nutral, which is turn one, Warden, double Orthopter, activate. Now oh, we're cooking with gas.
1: I love it. That was. Boy- <laughs> I do, I do love it. You know, I love an Ornithopter. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I do think that when you look at this, a lot of times you feel like, I don't think I want to tap all my creatures to power up Warden because you do have to do it kind of pro. You, have to, you don't have to choose. Are you going to attack or are you going to power up for your Warden? But the, the fact is, if you're not playing Loxodon, Right. If you're not using Warden and your Gleeful Demolition tokens to power out a Loxodon, you might as well pass, right, and try to scry and try to get to either your Loxodon or your Knight or whatever to be able to really have your convoke payoffs go, right? Isn't that kind of like a general strategy you think is mostly the right way to
3: think about it? Yeah, well, you don't want to pass because it is sorcery speed only. You don't want to say go in there. Right, case, yeah, yeah, don't pass. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But you're pass on you're attacking. It, yeah. 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 yeah, and yeah. If it, there's like these weird things where again your opponent just has like two. Like, say you have four one ones and they have two two twos like you can't attack on those board states anyway so what are your creatures doing for you they they would otherwise just be blank pieces of cardboard and now you have not only a way to pump into another threat that give it evasion and also scry to more imidane's recruiters so it's just like it's just the whole package i I love that card so much
1: yeah for what it's worth this is also the first time i've played convoke with imidane's recruiter and it's so i mean if people haven't tried it it's so much better than the goblins than the regal whatever card like it's it's just so much easier to to come off the three mana is not that much worse the stability is very much worth not having to surge it basically did you have the opportunity
3: to train some troops i did
1: one time as like a way to desperately get out of a game that I was behind, and it actually worked. I actually did come from behind because I trained the troops and then came back, and then I think I top decked a to warden as part of the sequence too while I was doing all that with recruiter, and it just like it, it it you know the deck felt a little more resilient than the last couple times I played it too, which was pretty interesting. I played it in mana traders. I, I I played in the Mana Traders queue with it because I was like, ah, I don't want to try a league. I'm going to play some like, more, I don't want to do tournament practice. So like, let's see how far I can go with this. And I stopped at four and three, which is pretty good for me, you know, for, pretty good for me and pretty good. I think, uh, you know, I went up against the decks that it felt better against weirdly, like it actually felt pretty good against Phoenix, uh, recruit or the uh, warden in particular felt like it was really helpful and good in that matchup because you can make it bigger than their removal, and then it also blocks phoenixes, which is pretty helpful. Um, and and, and, and it then it can I, go wider
0: than their removal.
1: Yes, you can go wider than their removal as well. I did pretty well against. Um, I think I did pretty. The the other wins were against. Um, I think I won a mirror, and then yeah, the other win I think was just against like red black or something like that, but.
0: I, I played against the two in, in the same Mana Traders Leagues while I was on Fish. And I just had the feeling that it was, like, more aggressive than what what Murpho can do. And it just made me wonder, like, is it in fact just the most aggressive deck in the format right now? And perhaps that is part of why Devin may say that it's actually just the best deck in the format, too, because it's so aggressive. I will say, though, you know, I feel like the Phoenix decks have been shaving on Thing in the Ice and, like, investing a bunch of resources into Warden only to have it upheaval feels like a big problem. And maybe Thing in the Ice is now a, a better threat than Ledger Shredder or, or Picklock Prankster. I don't know. Yeah, good, good note there. Yeah, I don't think they're playing Thing in the Ice at this
3: moment.
1: We'll see. Maybe they will.
3: They probably should be, because I don't I don't know if I've ever beaten a resolved thing in the eyes as Boros Convoke, but I don't yeah, know how you would. Yeah, it's like something you gotta you gotta shore up in the sideboard. But yeah, I don't know. Just like I um the reason I think it's like as of right now, I mean, Atlanta's still a couple of weeks out. Uh if I was, you know, forced to pick a deck for Atlanta today, I would probably pick Convoke just because I think it has the highest potential to nut draw. I think it has a decent matchup against Green, I think it's favorite against Rakdos, at least game one, and it like just surprisingly has this like weird grind aspect to it with all the clues and and the blood tokens and recruiters and companions and just like all this weird stuff that just happens to add up and I just love it. It's a good deck.
1: Awesome. I think let's go on to another interesting aggro-ish deck before we get too fancy because I know Stan spent a good amount of time playing green uh, simic merfolk and devin one of the lists you posted to us was also simic merfolk stan do you want to start talking there a little bit and then maybe we could talk about the different builds and what's going on sure yeah so i latched onto this one pretty wait one sec it's a sleeve boros convoke (laughs) with warden is a massive sleeve
3: oh quadruple sleeve
1: yeah it's it's an extremely good card Enough that I think Warden could also... Maybe there's other places Warden could be good in the future, too. It feels just like a new format
0: staple card to me. but Love it. Alright, so let's talk a minute about Merfolk, because this deck printed a lot of them, and I think this is one of the other hype decks of the set. Um, just because, like, since the original Exelon, we've had these Simic Merfolk that were never quite good enough. I think there was like a merfolk deck in historic that saw so play for a minute but we don't play that format anymore and I lashed onto this one quite quickly um, when like four or five days ago Claudio posted a trophy winning list that was like just a very clean aggro build since then I think people have been experimenting with like some combo pieces and Agatha's Soul Cauldron I did not have time to try any of that M- maybe Devin you have but I just kind of played like a curve out beat down strategy and tried to test as many new cards as possible in that process.
3: Yeah, that's kind of the same so, approach that I took to just like maximizing on the Lords. I, I also did not play any of the combo stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and we'll mention what like some of those combo cards are, but I, I kind of want to just like go card by card. There's three here that really stood out to me. I, and then I can mention a fourth one that has been seeing some play that I'm not as impressed by. But the first one is a new one drop. C-Note Scout? Cenote. Cenote Scout? C-note,
1: yeah. There's a very good uh Aquanauts that you need to watch with your child if you haven't heard
0: them talk about the Cenotes yet. No, we're we're just watching Frozen every day. Frozen 1 or 2. Just the first one. We're, we haven't gone to Aquanauts yet. We're still in the Frozen cinematic universe. My uh
1: or Octonauts. Yeah. My my kids love Frozen 2 famously, but
0: um Cenote. It's a new one drop. That's that's the tweet. When it enters the battlefield, it explores. It's a 1-1 that ETPs and explores. It costs a single green mana. It's good. It's good, and it's what it needed. Right? Very, yeah. very now we good. Have like, we have like eight solid one-drops now that can attack 4-2. And I think that's sort of like the thing that made this deck hum just like a little bit faster. The fact that it explores makes it both good in the early game. It can find you occasional lands. Decent in the late game to like possibly dig for cards. Yeah, I, th- I think like this was a really great addition.
3: A lot of people weren't sure about this one because you're like, well, you know, sometimes it's hard to find a deck that wants both both of the outcomes. But like when you're playing a deck with lords and such, your even your one mana one ones can still get powered up later in the game. And so that's like one one mana one one draw card or one mana two two. I think both of those outcomes are pretty good in a deck like this.
0: Heck yeah! All right, the other card that's new that I will actually say I'm even more impressed by, and that's Deeproot Pilgrimage. One and a blue for an enchantment. When one or more non-token merfolk you control becomes tapped, create a 1-1 blue merfolk creature token with hexproof. This card is amazing. It just keeps your board full of bodies. It's a really great follow-up to your one-drops since it just allows you to very quickly snowball. And in my limited experience, I think this was actually the biggest upgrade to the deck,
3: personally.
1: Now, interestingly, Devin, the list you shared with us does not have this card. There are some pretty big differences between the two lists that you guys have, and also, as you mentioned, there's these ones that are playing around with Agatha's Soul Cauldron. That's a whole, like, other thing going on. But, Devin, have you you tried Deep... Deep root yet, or have you have you not not had a chance to?
3: I have not yet. Um, I was thinking about trying like a, like you were mentioning, a more combo-centric version. I don't know whether or not you have to be comboing with it to make it good. Um, I'm gonna have to pull up Claudio's list real quick, but my biggest issue with Deep Root Pilgrimage was I found the deck had a ton of two drops already, so I didn't feel like I I, I couldn't find room to for to fit the deep root pilgrimages in. So I'm gonna see exactly what Claudio's list looked like as I'm pulling it up. But I can tell here. you what he cut. For what it's worth, he cut the it's lords. It's a straight. Yeah, it's
1: a well. One he he cut the misbinders. Mistbinder, yeah. One lord. He did, he kept the hex catchers, but yeah. So he only has one lord in his list.
3: Yeah, at least like yeah. when I was initially building it, I thought that I wanted to try, especially with the, the new one drop, I wanted to try maximizing the number of lords. I still have no idea what's the right way to go, but I do wanna I do wanna play with pilgrimage at some point.
0: Yeah. There's probably a way to thread the needle where you're making a ton of one drop tokens with or without a combo, and then playing four to eight lords, and now you're making like free two twos with hexproof.
1: Yeah yeah i mean it's cool i mean it's fascinating to see how much difference there is between these two and like i said that other list that we've seen floating around as well because it's it's like sonote scout just provided such a more stable base for this deck that all of a sudden all these cards that already existed are kind of like coming out of the woodwork as well like the um the combo centric builds have what is it called kiora's whatever follower. Follower, yep. follower in it and that's how the combo works where you kind of like un- tap and untap over and over again and then make a gazillion deeper pilgrimage tokens but you know claudio's list doesn't have that Devon's is more of like a straight up beat down de- like lord based be down deck that's powered by collected company it's lots of different things going on here
0: um this was of course another tide binder deck and you know tide binder was fine here it's a flash threat the coolest thing i did in pioneer with this deck with a tidebinder was against the quintorious combo deck an opponent post board cast chandra awakened inferno that's the uncounterable six mana chandra and whenever you cast that card it's it's pretty good because it's hard to answer and then like it creates the emblems that ping you for one or can just like wipe your board completely Tide Bindering that felt incredible because I saved my board, left a body, and then Chandra just was a blank piece of cardboard that sat there that they tapped out for.
3: Uncounterable, but not unstifleable.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. So yeah, I don't know. I I was pretty enthusiastic about Tide Binder and Rhinos. I'm. I think it's like fine. It, you probably have to play it, but I don't think it's like as universally appealing as a modern card is but maybe you feel otherwise. Yeah,
3: I think one of the bigger applications is probably against Monogreen Devotion with Karn, because you can not Mm -hmm. only lock the minus of Karn, but also lock that Karn on the battlefield. And Monogreen specifically doesn't play any removal spells, so if they don't have access to Karn, they can't really get it off the battlefield. So that's kind of where I I could see it being the best. Um, And it maybe has some applications against, like, I don't know, Rakdos or something, where you maybe stifle a shield or trigger. But yeah, it's like, other than Monogreen, it doesn't seem to have as many applications in Pioneer as it does in Modern.
0: You know, the other new card I played with, I didn't write notes about, but I'll mention it briefly, is this new three drop mm. called Sentinel of the Nameless City. Mm. It's tuned in green for a 3 4 with vigilance. When it enters the battlefield or attacks, create a map token. Now, you may not
1: know, Stan, that this was one of Devin's big cards that he had coming out of the spoiler episode he was very enthusiastic about this card just generally oh yes what did you think about playing it
0: fine i i don't know that so i was playing claudio's list that only had four lords i kind of wish i had more lords and i'd rather have another lord over this personally but i could very well be undervaluing the power of the map tokens there the body is nice but i i wasn't as enthusiastic about it Devon, having played with it now, did it support your initial feelings or challenge them? Uh, I would say it supported them.
3: It's maybe not quite as good as I initially thought it was because, you know, it is kind of a sort of a big investment to to spend three mana into. But what I like about it is, the like you said, the body is very good. It allows you to play offense and defense. It's relatively hard to kill for the red decks because the biggest red removal spell is Fiery Impulse, which only deals three. So even without a map token counter, they can't really touch it with Fiery Impulse. And the other thing is just like allowing you have like some other smaller bodies, especially with I couldn't even imagine with deeper pilgrimage, you get to these spots where you have a, like a, a stack of one ones and being able to potentially upgrade those with the map tokens, while also you know filtering through all those extra lands. Uh, it it was it was pretty good in in my experience.
0: I mean, I I will say like I thought the deck was actually quite good as like a really solid beat-down strategy. Cavern of Souls was nice. It's just like making sure you can always cast all of your spells. The only non-land or non-creature spell in my deck was Collected Company, and you never have problem casting that on four because it's not like you're just playing the game with four caverns. I, I actually would sleeve the deck as just like a nice beat-down aggressive deck. It beat um, basically everything except Convoke uh, that I played against. And yeah, I, th- I think there's like a lot to explore now with with Soul cauldron, the the qRS follower builds, and there's probably like the right way to play Murfak, and we haven't even gotten there yet. A lot to explore., <laughs> oh, oh my.
1: Devin, how did you feel after playing it a little bit? like what do you what do you think about the this neighborhood?
3: Uh, so I think the deck is good, but like Stan said, we, I don't really think we've like, we, we've kind of scratched the surface a little bit, but we haven't really quite found the, the proper build cause there's so many different ways to build it. So, until, you know, I, I would say somewhere between a believe and a sleeve for me, like, you know, halfway on the margin. And mm-hmm. mostly that's just because I want to find the best version first and I want to try experimenting with other things. Um, but I did like, you know, the, the curve was good. Like sinote Scout help you just fix your draws. Um, I, I think I like the eight Lord approach because it just allows you to go super wide and super tall at the same time. Um, but yeah, I liked it. It was good. Cool.
1: I mean, there's a lot of people who like Merfolk just as a, a, you know, type as a kindred. And so I think that that's, I'm glad that this stuff that felt like it should have had a home in Pioneer for a while, maybe has one finally, just thanks to really to Cenote Scout and then all the other stuff on top of it.
3: I will say I, I did buy my Tidebinders mostly, you know, I plan on playing them in Rhinos, but I, I did buy my set of Tidebinders. So nice. I'm ready. Yeah. Hell yeah. 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 How I, many I, did you, you only bought the four? You yeah, no, they were uh, only like seven bucks. I'm too late.
1: You got them at seven. Yeah, uh, I didn't. I didn't buy any yet. Stan got them at like a dollar a piece.
0: He was just Ugh. telling me earlier. So I, I, I got them at four pound each. So I bought seven. Wow, well, what's Stan four pounds lies. like? Stan's. Twenty cents. <laughs> Probably like six dollars, six
1: fifty. Yeah. All right, so let's go on from there. So Devin, this this I would love to talk about this other list that you have because since our podcast started out. In modern, around the time that our show started out, there was this card that was pretty popular in modern called a Hollow One.
3: Ooh, okay. Want to go there?
1: You have shared with us a pretty interesting red, black Hollow One list with Flameblade Adepts, Insulate Neonates, uh, Souls of the Lost, Inri, seneschal of the S- of the Sun, Bloodthorn Flail. A bunch of stuff from the new the new set is in here. I will say. I played with an Inri deck that I'd love to talk about briefly after this one. But what, what's going on with this Hollow One list?
3: Okay, so this was initially, yeah. There, stands showing that the, the Inti Inri, yeah, yeah. Oh, love Inti, it.
1: Inti, yeah. Inti. Love
3: it. So this initially started was uh, was just an Inti plus Fable deck because Inti triggers whenever you discard a card, not just to its own ability. So if you discard cards in other ways, you can also trigger Inti. Now, once you get Fable Inti. You know, I also there's the, the new card uh, where to go Brass's Tunnel Grinder, which the list that posted here only has two copies. I ended up going up to three. But uh, for those of you listeners may have not seen that card, it's basically two in a red artifact. When it enters the battlefield, you can discard any number of cards. And when you do draw that many plus one, it has some other text on it, which largely doesn't matter. But for the for for this purpose, what matters is discard any number and then draw that many plus one. So you get into these spots where you discard a bunch of cards between that, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. All of these are all triggering Inti, right? And then you're discarding a bunch of cards, which in turn helps you cast Hollow One. So that's kind of like the 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 big the big sort of end game there. The other big find for this was Bloodthorn Flail, which I have not seen a lot of people talking about, but and I was kind of skeptical at first. Uh, but we'll we'll do this one for the listeners too. So it's a single black mana for an artifact equipment creature gets plus two plus one and the equip cost is pay three mana or discard a card so the, the what's really sick about bloodthorn flail is if you kind of compare it to putrid imp right you can just if you play putrid imp in legacy you can just discard however many cards you want even though you're not getting a ton out of it who cares you're discarding your hand and that's what your deck wants to do And that's kind of how it felt with Bloodthorn Flail, where I would just get to these spots where I would just have like, you know, three cards that probably didn't matter, two hollow ones, and I would just discard my hand and play two hollow ones, and that was good enough. The Souls of the Lost stuff was kind of weird, but it is another large creature for Flamewake Phoenix, which was kind of cool. But yeah, I was, I ended up going four and one. at lost playing for the trophy with this deck, and I was very, very impressed, and I kind of want to spend some more time on it.
1: I mean, it's a really interesting, cool build. The... Equipability of Bloodthorn or Blood yeah, Bloodthorn Flail, right? Definitely stood out to me when I was reading the spoilers because I was just like, Well, you can just equip stuff over and over again. So if somebody finds a shell, like you said, that you just want to discard everything, here's the exact tool for it. And I, I was wondering if it might end up in like a dredgy type thing, more so than this. But really, this is kind of just dredgy, but the cards that you want to play never go to the graveyard, they just get played from your hand. But I completely miss brass's tunnel grinder. Uh, I guess looking at the spoilers because you know that that kind of discard your hand plus one the val that's Valakut Awakening essentially right like that or is that is that that is the same card right? Better is than
3: Valakut. Sure. Valakut, Valakut Awakening puts them on the bottom. So in in uh, you kind of most yes. of the time would rather have the cards in your graveyard.
1: Absolutely, yeah, for sure. So that that totally makes sense. It so powers up your souls of the lost. Um, yeah, this deck looks really cool. Uh, very interesting. I mean, Hollow One is a card that pe- lot, like I said, lots of people that we now listen to the show, and even I played Hollow One for a little while back at the day. This kind of deck, I do, I do really enjoy. So, you think this is kind of like in the belief space right now, where you want to work it out a little bit more, but you had some positive early results.
3: Yes. Yeah. Exactly. There was some things that I liked, some things that I didn't like. Yeah, definitely in in the belief stage. One other important note for listeners with Bloodthorn Flail. You can actually, so if you have one single creature and a Bloodthorn Flail, you don't need a second creature. You can, if you equip the Bloodthorn Flail to a creature, you can use the Bloodthorn Flail again and equip it to the same creature that it's already equipped to. So you can just, you don't need a second creature. You can just dump your hand. Uh, yeah. Which came you up You do need times. one creature.
1: Yes. You do need one creature, but that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And I also thought Inti was pretty powerful. Shane talked about this on the spoiler episodes. So I played Inti in this Boros Aggro list that Pascal Maynard 5-0'd. I played that deck too. Did you see this? I played it. I went went 4-1. It was good. This deck I thought was so sweet. The number one reason I thought it was sweet, of course, is that I have been wanting to have um, a fair Mox Amber deck to play for like a long time. And I feel like this is one of the first ones that I've actually seen that worked Kind of, but here here's what's in this deck that Pascal made. It is like I said, it's a it's a Boros Legends aggro deck that's kind of built around Inti and another card from the new set called Annam Pakal Thousandth Moon. And what Annam Pakal does is whenever you attack with one or more non-gnome creatures, put a plus one plus one counter on Annam Pakal, then create X one one colorless gnome artifact creature tokens that are tapped and attacking, where X is the number of plus one plus one counters on an a call. And then you have, you know, your one drops in this are Kithian, Skrelv, and Zergo. You have Kerry Zev, you have uh, Thalia, you have Adeline, Resplendent Cathar, so you, it's just every card in this deck is legendary, with the exception of uh, get two copies of Get Lost, and then you have four Mox Amber, two Ember Cleave. Uh, yeah, I thought that this deck, the engine idea of this deck of, like, trying to power out an early Inti, whether you use a Mox Amber to do that, you know, or, or whatever, and then discarding a bunch of cards to the ability, the attacking abilities there um, really actually made the deck have a lot of diverse. Like able to spread out its threats pretty well, and then Pakal actually gets pretty big pretty quick and makes a lot of, of goal of uh gnome tokens pretty quickly. And then you know, you have Embercleave to pay it off. This deck felt to me like a weird alternate dimension Boros deck, like Boros Convoke <laughs> deck, in a way yeah. where you're not convoking but you're still making a lot of stuff on the graveyard pretty fast.
3: This is Boros Convoke if they banned Luxodon and Night Eren.
1: Yes. Yeah, right.
3: One really awesome thing about Inti is that give a thing trample is awesome when you're playing with large creatures. So I came up with me when I played the Boros deck with uh, Adeline and uh, Souls of the Lost as well. Just like these creatures that get huge, giving them trample is massive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Does playing this many four of legends ever become a liability where you end up with like cards stuck in your hand?
1: I mean, yeah, yes and no. Like, I mean, the deck is so aggressive that I do think that uh, you are mostly trying to close the game out pretty quickly. So, but yeah, sometimes, well, actually, the reason that it's not a liability is because of Inti's ability where you're just discarding cards so if you mm-hmm. have two thalia's you're just discarding thalia to draw a different card and hoping that you just get more different things online um i did want to bring up a like so i said i took some screenshots of boros convoke i took a screenshot of playing with this deck too and i have a shot here where i won the game on turn three and what i had on board was it's because of a scoop it's not because i actually killed somebody but i had inti thalia with a token i had an, an input call with a token i had a gnome token and I had a flipped Gideon already on turn three. Sheesh, Ooh, that's a lot. Now this kind of yeah, this kind of hand was was enabled by, uh, of course, like double Mox Amber on turn one or something like that, where I like I I used one of them basically as a Lotus Petal, which is fine, you know, like that's that's <laughs> that's that's fine. Like we're Lotus Petal is a good card too. So if I get a Mox and a Lotus Petal and I'm powering stuff out, like I'm I'm up for it.
3: Yeah, I will say when I played that deck, every hand with Mox Amber, it was like night and day between the hands with and the hands without Mox Amber. It's like you feel like you're playing modern when you have it, but then when you don't have it, it's like
2: eh,
3: this one, two, three curve is it could be a little bit better. Um, yeah. But yeah, like when you go turn to Adeline after playing a one drop on turn one, don't even get me started. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I think there's some potential here. I, and it was fun. Like, actually, you know, honestly, the best thing about this deck is it's less than $100 on Magic Online. So if this <laughs> is somebody who has some stuff or you have a, a, one of the cheaper Mana Traders plans and you want to go for it, like a lot of these decks in Pioneer are pretty cheap. But this one, I was like, wow, this is very, felt very powerful for the amount of money.
3: Just don't be trying to buy box Ambers and Paper.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, they're they're down to $25 a piece now, it says, at least on Goldfish. I'm looking at right now. So they've gone down 10 bucks or so a piece at least. So... Boros Legends deck I think it's less it felt a lot less stable to me you know I, I know Devin you said you got a four1 with it the core seems kind of interesting it did feel like less put together than the Boros convoke deck because I played the legends deck and then I played the convoke deck and I was like it was very good so this for me is definitely like a believe it's like a down the middle like you can play this legends deck try it out it's fun uh, I don't I think it's gonna need a little more to really get up that hill it doesn't feel as powerful as as convoke right now so I it's not a it's not a
0: Uh, sleeve for me it's more of a belief
3: belief for me too
0: I believe you guys alright so here's a deck that Devin and I both played I played an early version of it Um, I'm excited to hear Devin's work on it because it's changed a bit and that is Teamer Discover in Pioneer essentially built around Geological Appraiser it's the 4 mana 3-2 when it enters the battlefield if you've cast it Discover 3 which is interesting because it works with four copies or eight copies of clone effects. Uh, The version I played had four glass pool mimics as well as four mirror images, which I guess counts the discover line because what ends up happening is you discover into your clones and then you clone your geological appraiser and you make like sometimes, what is it? Eight different appraisers and then you have nine three twos on the board and hope that's good enough and similar to team or cascade or rhinos or Horned Dogs, as we call it on the dive down this plays like a bunch of bad interaction stapled to adventure spells or cards with cycling abilities you know things like twin shot sniper or magma opus to basically try to get you ramped into your payoff or somehow interact with your opponents are doing without actually fizzing out when you discover. I first discovered this deck like pretty quickly after the new set went live. Someone tagged me on Twitter and called it Rhinos at Home. <laughs> um, and the version I played, I did not like that much, because I felt like it really struggled from the wrong half problems that you see with like a lot of combo-focused decks where... There were some times where I ended up drawing a bunch of clones and I had nothing to use them on. Or um, uh, I would have like the one appraiser on the board and I would try to combo and then someone would remove the appraiser while a clone was on the stack. And then that would just kind of blow me out. And I also felt like the interaction wasn't as good as like some of the stuff that you get to play in modern. You know, for me, I really miss things like Bonecrusher Giant and Brazen Borrower, which you can't play here because those are three mana creatures and you would discover into them. Um, and it felt like, by contrast, things like Twin Shot Sniper or Colossal Sky Turtle or Horned Lock Whale just were not as good. So I was ready to heave it entirely and tell people to basically avoid this build. But then I see people keep iterating with it. And Devin, you've like taken it into a, a much more refined direction, I think. How did you get there? What was so, your experience like?
3: Uh, How did I get there? Well, you know, as all good things do come from, I copied this list from an MTG Goldfish challenge top 16 yesterday. (laughs) Well, to be fair, I, I got the initial list from the top 16 of the Saturday challenge on Goldfish. Since then, we have done quite a bit of work to specifically the mana base and just some of the interaction. So, mm-hmm. Stan mentioned that the three drops that he was playing were the four Glass Pool Mimics and the four, what was the name of the other clone? I can't remember. The Mirror Image. So, he's playing mm-hmm. four Mimic and four Mirror Image. The version that I played today, a little bit on stream, cut the mirror images for Eldritch Evolution. So, the theory being that if you, like when you're casting Geological Appraiser, if you hit Evolution, you can Evolution, sack the Appraiser, and just go get another Appraiser and then keep going from there.
0: And that. I- If I'm understanding this correctly, you do hit Eldritch every time you discover, right? Because you go Appraiser into Mimic into Mimic, and eventually you just keep discovering until you hit an Evolution?
3: So it kind of depends on the order. Like it is random whether you hit Mimic or Evolution first. So like let's say, for example, if the first hit, like you play Appraiser, right? The first hit is Mimic. You go cast mimic, copy appraiser. Now you have two appraisers. Then if the second one you hit is evolution, you can go evolution, sack one of them, go get another appraiser. And then you can kind of go from there. But it kind of depends on which one you hit because they're both three drops.
0: Right. So, yeah. Oh, I see. I see. So if you hit evolution first, then, you, then your chain basically ends there. If you hit mimic, you can keep chaining.
3: Well, not necessarily because of the trumpeting Carnosaur, which is I I don't know was that in your version or not. Let me take a it look. Is, it was it, it was, was. it was.
0: It's a two of. But yeah, I, I couldn't evolution into it. It was well, just there a different interaction. So what happens
3: with this chain is now. So let's say for example, there's four copies of the trumpeting Carnosaur, and let's say for example, you geological appraiser and your first hit is evolution. You can go evolution sack the appraiser, get Carnosaur. And now Carnosaur, Mm -hmm. similar to Geological Appraiser, it's ETB Discover 5 right? instead of Mm 3. So then you can go Discover 5, hit an Appraiser, now you cast the Appraiser, and then you're back to where you started, but now you have an additional 7-6 in play. And then if it's Mm -hmm. the same thing, you can hit an Evolution, you can sack the Appraiser, go get another Dinosaur, now you have 2 in play, and you can kind of keep going from there. And if you hit Clones, you can start cloning your Mm -hmm. Dinosaur's. Right, so it's similar mm-hmm. to the geological appraiser line, but instead of making a bunch of three twos, you're making a bunch of seven six tramples, mm-hmm. and then the big Which
1: is arguably better <laughs> on the board.
3: <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that.
1: Can I can I just pop in here for a second? So I, I love to talk about chains and dinosaurs and appraisers. Are we just killing people by swinging with
3: these cards after they come into play, or like what's the what's the the big picture plan with this deck well i'm glad you asked dave because there is a six drop in my deck i don't know if this was present in stan's deck let me take a look it's here. not it, it is not. called it's not
0: the Doomscar titan
3: Doomscar titan so uh this one is a banger from call time so it's six mana for i believe a five five it has four tell and i believe the four tell cost is three double red uh, but more importantly when it enters the battlefield it gives all of your creatures plus one in plus haste which means that it it is a six drop which means that on your very last eldritch evolution you can sacrifice the appraiser to go get the doom scar give all of your seven sixes haste and then attack them on the turn now from my understanding the version that you played stan you just had to say go with all the three twos right yeah okay that's what you were missing. Who wants to do that?
1: <laughs> that's brutal. Yeah, nobody wants to do that, yeah. right? That That's like what I was feeling about the Amalia deck that we were talking about before you got on, which is like, even if I combo off with this, my 2020 has to sit there for a whole turn for them to wrath or fatal push it or whatever. But now you're talking about, okay, the combo is fully built in. We have something to give haste.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But, but just to like, for my own clarity, okay. to me, it feels like the way your deck is built, you kind of you can't really fizzle out like you're going to hit that doomscar titan
3: yeah so the the theoretically the only there is a possibility if that you fizzle when you play and this happened to be once on stream when you play geological appraiser up there's four evolutions and four mimics right so if you play appraiser on an empty board and you go evolution sack appraiser if the first four cards you hit are all evolutions that's it. You're done because you don't have anything else in the battlefield. The best you can do is on your last evolution, go get the doom scar and attack them for like six or whatever. But the suit the once you hit the first mimic, you can then mimic cop or like mimic copy appraiser. Then you hit evolution that gets you to trumpeting and then you can kind of just snowball from there. So the, the only way to brick is hit all four evolutions before you hit a single clone, which is, I don't know if somebody wants to do the math, who's listening. I'm not good at math, but I can't imagine it's that likely to happen.
1: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I don't think it's that likely. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) probably not.
0: And and so there's like some similarities between like other tech pieces in our decks. Um, And I feel like one of the things I really like about your list is that you shaved like bad ramp cards and replaced them for better ramp cards. Because I'm playing like a grabby giant, which lets you put an extra land into play. Um, and beanstalk worm has the same effect. You're not playing any of those. You're you have creative outburst as like extra copies of magma opus to potentially ramp into your geological appraiser on on three.
3: Yeah, this deck just wants to like ideally you want to mulligan to an appraiser and a creative outburst or an opus, and that's just turn three kill. Um, but you know you do have some hands what is the cool thing about the way that this deck is constructed too is the, you'll notice there's no there's nothing that costs less than Carnosaur besides combo pieces so Appraiser Mimic and Evolution which means that Carnosaur is also a one card combo by itself so you just have eight mm-hmm. copies of, of basically one card win the game as opposed to other versions that I've seen that it's like all in on Appraiser and if you don't draw Appraiser you're just kind of bricked but now you have like eight consistent one card combos with the eight ramp spells to consistently consistently get to them on turn three or turn four
1: amazing how's the how's the interaction in in these two builds so you know in the cases where you got to do something on the first couple turns to try to save yourself you know you guys said creative outburst and magma opus were really about um ramp more than anything else so what else is going on with the other cards that are floating around here
3: The ones that I played, I had four copies of Bedeck Bedazzle, which uh, we're not going to get into the six mana half of this, but it's Black Red Hybrid X2, give a thing, plus three, minus three. So it's basically red, red, kill something. And then the other interactive spell I played was Colossal Sky Turtle, which is nice because not only is it a two mana unsummon, but it's also against Thoughtseize decks. You can pay three to regrow your Geological Appraiser and then you know curve that into turn four Appraiser. So that's the interaction that I played.
0: What's that black card above your creative outbursts?
3: Oh, sorry, discovery dispersal. It's the two mana surveil to you, then draw card. Mm. Interesting. So it just help to like fix the draws and stuff.
0: Yeah, I was playing bad versions of Bonecrusher Giant. So I had like Twin Shot Sniper, which you can channel to deal two damage to any target. I think is is the templating um, Hornlock Whale, which you can go on an adventure for one and a blue, and it. Puts target attacking creature on the top or bottom of opponent's library. Um, And then the two trumpeting carnosaur, which you're like, you're basically channeling to deal three to something. And then I, I did have the sky turtle too, which never actually came up in the, in the games I played. So I would say the, the interaction in my deck was, was bad. It's. Not, I mean, it's not much better in my deck. Like when you when you're signing you're, up, you're just playing less of it. Yeah, you, you, it sure. looks like you're less concerned with interacting. Basically,
3: I think I do. I do kind of agree that Bedeck Bedazzle is probably the best one if you if your mana can support it. But you have to play a ton of red sources, obviously. But just like two mana, un- not unconditional, but give basically anything minus three, minus three is it kills a lot of cards that you care about like lavinia archon of emiria thalia kills all that stuff uh if you're on the play it can kill their turn one elf which is pretty massive so I, I do like that card a little bit but yeah no we don't we don't have any fire aces in pioneer unfortunately
1: yeah <laughs> not yet maybe someday maybe <laughs> pioneer someday
0: near horizons if only yep
1: Alright, so you both played this deck. Devin, we already heard kind of what Stan thought, Devin. Do you like it enough to go back? Do you think there's something here? Is it got a place or
3: it's like a believe plus.
1: Believe plus. Yeah,
3: not quite not quite sleeve minus, but I think there is something here, and maybe I'm not smart enough to figure it out, but I'm sure that I, I'm sure that somebody will be able to break the to break, break geological appraiser at some point. It's it's felt it felt yeah. really powerful. Mm-hmm.
1: Stan, is this other list a little more appealing to you to give it another shot, or what do you think?
0: Yeah, so the original list, I was ready to heave it. This new list, I'll give it a Believe D for Believe Devin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Believe in Devin. All right. Well, I mean, we just talked about a lot of decks. Yeah.
1: All right, so let's say we can't choose Boros Convogue. What deck do you all are you all the most interested in uh, next in Pioneer of these ones? Which one would you pick if you had to pick one?
3: mm kind of want to go with the Rectos hollow One deck
1: okay i love that answer i was thinking mm-hmm. about it too but i'm glad that's why i wanted you to go first evan oh okay yeah you
3: want to make nice. sure stan?
1: well, man, well m- make sure that you get credit for the deck that like you were working on with the hollow one i don't want to i don't want to hop on the hollow one hype train that
0: uh i didn't even start you know <laughs> stan what do you think i i mean look i need to experiment with more versions of fish just to see, like, how aggro can we really get? I'm also gonna cheat. Um, I mentioned that I played against the Quintorius combo deck. I only played against one time, but it was scary. Mm. Quintorius discovering into clones was my opponent just kept clicking, and I'm like, "What are they doing? Why do they keep <laughs> Quintoriousing and making combo co- copies of this Elephant Walker?" And then literally out of nowhere, Moto's like, "Oh, you're, oh, dead, you're dead now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're dead. Good game. You're dead. I played that so, yeah, deck like, too. most no speed." Yeah, I, I I just want to try more versions of like what Discover can do in Pio, because yep. I, I do love to Cascade. Well established.
3: Uh,
1: I think if I can't pick Boros for what it's worth, I would also... The next thing I would try that we talked about is this Hollow One deck, just because... Love it. Love discarding things. Love it. Fish following after that. It, so it sounds like... Um, but there's a lot of options. These are a lot of interesting options to try out, and I guess we'll just kind of see where the format goes from here, especially coming into the RC.
3: Yeah, we'll have to do. We'll up. have to do like a big Atlanta Prev episode at one point. That'd be a pretty good idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, we the have Road to Atlanta. We have two or three weeks for that, right? We're not doing an episode next week, so maybe after that, we sh- we should do that because that's probably what fits timing wise.
3: Yeah, because I'm basically just going to be playing a bunch of Pioneer over the past, you know, the next couple of weeks, with in preparation for Atlanta. So. Yeah. And honestly, I think this this is like one of my favorite sets of all time. I'm going to be real with you. Really? I, I have spent so much time just like brewing and playing, and I've never been happier to play a Pioneer before. It's just, I feel like this set really opened the format up so much.
0: That's awesome. That is awesome. You know, something that we don't really do is like theory craft per se, but I, I did play a draft on release weekend. Um, and there was a card that um, I had an opponent cast against me that was so impressive it made me wonder if it had legs in Constructed. Um, and it's called Bringer of the Last Gift. Six black black for a 6-6 six, six flying vampire demon. When it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, each player sacks all other creatures they control. Then each player returns all the creature cards from their graveyard that weren't put there this way to the battlefield. It's living end. If
3: you it's, cast it's, it though, oh, why do they have to put eight that on mana there? <laughs> living end.
0: I don't know. This, this this again. This is limited. Like so, who knows? Maybe this is just a limited bomb. But we don't have this effect in Pioneer yet, as far as I know. We have all these channel cards. We have land cyclers now too. I, I think there were a couple in the set. I mean, I know there were a couple in the set. I drafted them. I don't. Maybe maybe we can find a way to make bringer the less gift work. I would be so much more into it if they didn't have the if you
3: cast a clause because you could reanimate it, but. And eight man, mm. eight man is kind of a tough sell. That's my one issue.
1: It's a lot of work to get there.
3: They always elves, a lot of
1: elves, a lot of magma opus.
3: Every time <laughs> you see if you cast it on a card, you know that they just don't want us to have fun. You know.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Or like or once they're per saving turn. us From ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Once per. Those are the two. Those are the two. My favorite words in magic are draw a card. My least favorite words are once per turn. Yeah. All right. Well, we can talk about that more coming up. Once per episode. Yeah. Once per episode. Stan, would you like to close us out?
0: I'd love to. Devin, thanks for showing up. Basically unannounced.
3: Well, I announced it.
1: (laughs) Much appreciated. We know you've been streaming a lot lately, so we appreciate the time for sure. I know it's tiring.
0: And that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or just reach out in general, you can tweet us at the Dive Down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down and check out our store at the slash store. We will have Black Friday deals. Watch this space to figure out what that Black Friday code will be. Check the notes. I vote horn dogs. Yep. Head over to heavyplay.com to get some incredible deck and dice boxes and play mats featuring the Equip Mag system. They also have a Black Friday deal, but if you hear this, you know. Maybe after the Black Friday deal is up, you can use promo code the Dive Down twenty twenty three for ten percent off your first order. I think Devin, you 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 have like an affiliate link with them as well? Yeah.
3: I got I got my stuff right here.
1: Devin, they Devin? are offering thirty percent off. Thirty wow. Don't pay attention Who's to the Yu Gi Oh card that's in there. It's Yu Gi Oh. Uh <laughs> they're offering thirty percent off on for the for the upcoming weekend with Ooh. code Black Friday twenty twenty three. Thirty percent off store wide. Nice.
0: It's pretty good. So get a deal while you can, while you still can. Shout out to Traders for sponsoring the Dive Down. You can rent Lost Caverns of Ixalan cards on Traders now. If you sign up using promo code THEDIVEDOWN23, all one word, you'll get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. And also get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using promo code THEDIVEDOWN23 and their promo
1: code for black friday again cyber weekend c-y-b-a weekend 23 20 off
0: finally save some money on paper cards over at nerd rage gaming with code dive eight for eight percent off your order with nrg as always special thanks to the bands nowhere in space blood for letting us use their music and until next week get out there and discover more magical